0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Philo Vance, episode titled The Butler Murder Case, originally aired October 28, 1948, where a dentist is threatened with death by an extortionist and is then murdered. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio.
1: patient in the waiting room, Doctor. Can you see him now?
2: In a moment, Miss Lee. I just want to sharpen the burr on this drill. Didn't we get those new ones we ordered?
1: No, Doctor. The company said they wouldn't send us any unless we paid our bill. They say it's six months old.
2: So what if it is? I'm good for the money. What about the patient? Has he been here before?
1: He's new to me. He says he had a toothache and saw the sign outside.
2: All right, Miss Lee. Ask him to come in,
3: please.
1: Very well, Doctor. I'll tell him you can see him now. Would you come in, sir?
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks, lady. Hi, Doc. Hello.
2: Sit right down here, if you will, sir.
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Doc. <sighs> oh,
2: that's the telephone. Excuse me just a moment, will you please?
1: Yeah, sure. Hi, Doc. Hello? Hello, Michael. I just wanted to know if you'd be home for dinner. I hope I haven't disturbed you.
2: Oh, I'll be home, Grace, but I have a patient in the chair, so I've got to cut this short.
1: Oh, I understand. Goodbye, darling. Hurry home. Goodbye,
2: Grace. Goodbye. Well, now, sir, we are ready for you? Yeah, sure, Doc. That, uh, that was your wife? Yes, why? She like you? Well, of course. I don't think I understand it She yet. wouldn't
3: want nothing to happen to you, would she?
2: Of course not. But then neither would I. What are you talking about?
3: To tell the truth, Doc, I ain't got no pain in no tooth. <laughs> I guess maybe I'm gonna be a pain in the neck. You see, uh... I, uh, I work for Professor Powell, and he says you're going to give me 10,000 clams, or you ain't going to drill no more teeth.
2: Get out of here before I call the police.
3: <laughs> yeah, sure. I forgot to tell you. The professor, he's cute. You get dead, so it looks like by accident. See?
2: I won't pay you or your professor a cent. Now get out of here. Oh,
3: yeah, sure, sure. I'll, uh, I'll get out of here, but uh, remember what I said. You get dead. Dead.
1: In the kitchen, Mrs. Butler. Right here in the kitchen. Good, I'll be there in a minute, as soon as I take off my things. Maybe you ought to come in now, Mrs. Butler. Maybe you ought to. Why, Helma, what's the trouble? Is anything wrong? Sure, ma'am, lots of things. fact is, I don't know anything that's right. You promised to leave my money for me before you left this morning, and you didn't. Your husband are rich, why don't you pay me what you owe me? I'm, I'm sorry, Helma, I just don't happen to have the cash. I'll see that my husband, Dr. Butler, makes out a check for you as soon as he gets home. Well, you'd better find people you two are. Hire a maid and then don't pay her. I don't like that, Mrs. Butler. Something better be done about it. I don't like being without ready money either, Helma. Something's going to be done about that, I promise you. I'm sorry I'm so slow, Michael. I'm a little out of practice when it comes to serving.
2: When's Helmer coming back?
1: She isn't. That is, she'll be in in the morning for her money. But she walked out this afternoon when I couldn't pay her. It was pretty embarrassing, Michael. Well,
2: I can't be bothered with that right now. I've got other problems. Grace, my life has been threatened. What? A tough character came into my office and told me he worked for somebody named Professor Paul. He threatened to kill me unless I paid him $10,000.
1: Oh, Michael, no.
2: No? Oh, Yes. He sounded like he...
1: Oh, Michael, who can that be at the door? Is it Professor Powell?
2: No, no, it's probably Stanley James. He left word at the office. He'd be here tonight. I'll go to the door. I'll get rid of him in a hurry. I know what he wants. Oh,
1: please, Michael, you're upset enough. Don't do anything you'll be sorry for.
2: I'll do something he'll be sorry for. Just because he's a dentist, too, he thinks I'm supposed to help him. Well, he'll find out. Hello, Dr. Butler. Well, Dr. James, what is it? And if it's about that money you want to borrow, the answer is no. Can't I
3: even come in and discuss this with you, Doctor? It's really
2: urgent. I said no to you yesterday, and I'm telling you the same thing now. What right of you to think I'll lend you money? I loaned you money when you were just starting. Dr. Butler, you've got to help me. You've got to. Oh, I do, huh? Well, that's your opinion only. I think differently. Good night, Dr. James. Wait. Don't close the door. Dr. Butler, you're going to wish you had loaned me that money. <laughs> yes? Yes. Believe me, you
4: are... Uh, Professor Powell? I'm in here, Frankie. Come in.
3: Yeah, sure, Professor. Well, I seen him, the dark
4: butler you sent me to, and I told him what you said. Did you now, Frankie? Excellent. And that means he'll pay.
3: I, uh,
4: I ain't doubting you, you understand, Prof, but what, uh, what makes you so sure? The fear of death, Frankie, my lad. The unreasonable but unqualified fear of being forcibly removed from this world. Do you understand, Frankie?
3: Yeah, sure, sure, but uh, what do you mean?
4: Everyone has to die, Frankie. Not me. The few miserable years that may lie between the time fate dictates death, and I do, are cherished by ordinary men, cherished to a point where they will pay to insure them. That's stupid, huh? From their viewpoint, no. From mine, yes. Personally, I fear no death. This enables me to work without conscience or fear of consequences. And now, Frankie, to the business in hand. Yeah. Did this Dr. Butler say he would pay my $10,000 fee?
3: He, uh, he didn't say exactly. In fact, he practically tossed me out on my ear.
4: Good. Good? Of course. He's the first man in this town whom we have approached. Doesn't matter whether he pays us or we kill him. If he pays, we have the money. If not, we have an object lesson to cite for the next individual we solicit. Now... Let us ponder the problem of doing away with Dr. Butler.
5: Philo Vance is outside. By all means, Miss Williams, ask him to come in. I've been expecting him. Vance, it's a pleasure to see you. Come right in.
6: Thank you, Markham. Thank you. Glad you called me. I hope
5: I didn't get you here under false pretenses, Vance.
6: When the district attorney sends for his friend, a private investigator... How could the pretenses be false? Well, for
5: one thing, Vance, I have no case for you to work on. At least I don't think I have. My call was sort of a precautionary measure. Vance, did you ever hear of Professor Powell?
6: Vaguely. Isn't he an extortion specialist who operates in the Middle West?
5: He did, formally. He's either in town now or on the way here. I received a wire this morning from the chief of police at Irlandtown saying he thought Powell was en route here.
6: Hmm. I seem to recall this Powell made a specialty of getting money from professional men. Yes,
5: according to the file we have on him. Now, Vance, maybe this is coincidence, or perhaps Professor Powell has started operations here. But this morning, a dentist, Dr. Michael Butler, was found dead in his office.
6: Really? What were the circumstances?
5: Well, to be frank with you, they don't necessarily indicate murder. Uh He was found lying on the floor of his office with no obvious indication of how he met his death. Is that so? The only thing strange is he had a loaded revolver in his pocket.
6: Mm. You know, Markham, it strikes me that there is a definite connection between this mysterious Professor Powell and the death of Dr. Butler. I suggest we go to the doctor's office now. Would you close the door to the reception room, please, Markham?
5: All right, Vance.
6: I want to take a look around Dr. Butler's office. The body was found here, right? Yes, that's correct. And his dental instruments
5: are in the sterilizer ready for the day's work to be started. Except for the fact that the body's been removed, nothing's been touched.
6: I see. Hmm. Here's a glass jar filled with alcohol. Many dentists use this for cold sterilization. Do me a favor, please, my friend. Open the sterilizer and see if there's a hypodermic syringe in it. Certainly, Vance. Yes, I see one. Oh, gosh, this is hot. In that case, I think Dr. Butler was murdered, all right. And I think I can tell you how. Oh, no, Vance. Oh, yes, Markham. The fact that the hypodermic syringe was in the sterilizer tells me it doesn't belong there. It belongs in this jar of alcohol. Otherwise, there'd be no reason for the jar of alcohol.
5: I understand that, but not what makes you think this was murder. Now, how you know how Dr. Butler was murdered.
6: I think the murderer came in here, took this hypodermic, which is generally used to shoot Novocaine into a patient's gums, and filled it with poison. Then he used it on Dr. Butler and returned it to the sterilizer. But if
5: the murderer got the hypodermic syringe from the alcohol jar, why return it to the sterilizer?
6: Very simple reason, Markham. Our murderer was pretty clever. He thought putting it back in alcohol would preserve the poison, but that putting it in the sterilizer would destroy all traces of the poison. It was natural that the hypodermic be put into the sterilizer. That would cover up the crime beautifully, or so it was imagined.
5: Well, Vance, it seems to me that if this is so, and I'm not doubting it, mind you, that you have encountered Professor Powell and have won the initial victory.
6: Perhaps, providing that the professor is responsible for this. Personally, I'm not convinced it was he. I'm going to Dr. Butler's home. He was married, you said? Yes, he lived alone with his wife. Well, I'm going to phone and ask if I may come out to see her. I'll be in touch with you as soon as I have something important to tell you.
5: Vance, with you on the job, that won't be too long. I'll be waiting.
1: Mister, only there ain't nobody home. No. No. The reason there ain't nobody home is because they knew I'd be here to collect the money they owe me. I'm Helma. I was the maid here till yesterday.
6: My name is Vance. I had an appointment with Mrs. Butler. I felt certain she'd keep.
2: Ever flung a who-done-it across the room on the grounds of incompetent sleuthing? Ian Pierce
5: hasn't, because he's never read a whodunit in his life. He still boasts that
2: he could solve one, though. Listen and learn as this self-appointed crime guru attempts to guide a private investigator to the truth
5: in an original murder mystery written by Tom Knight.
2: Welcome to the Directed Detective.
1: with her, too. Get my money. Five weeks they owed me for. Kept me waiting with all that money they have. She owe you money, too?
6: Hardly. I wanted something else. Information. It doesn't look as if I'll get what I came after, either. All I can tell you, Markham, is that I had an appointment with Mrs. Butler, but she wasn't at her house when I got there. So I came back to the office.
5: Can't understand that, Vance, but I'm sure we can pick her up if we want her. I'd like to be as sure of picking up Professor Powell, though.
6: You'll get him, too, Markham. Oh, thanks for letting me know that the medical examiner found that poison had been injected into Dr. Buckler. It's nice to know I was right.
5: Aren't you always? You know, the hypodermic left such a minute hole, it just wasn't detected until you asked that it be looked for particularly. Sometimes... Excuse I'll...
6: me, Markham, for breaking in on something I know I'd enjoy hearing, but there's someone at the door, and Miss Deering's out. I'll call you back. Do that. Bye. Bye. Come in.
1: Mr. Vance? Yes? I'm Grace Butler. How do you do? I'm sorry I, I wasn't home as I said I'd be. I, I just can't stay in that house anymore now that Michael's.
6: That's understandable. Please come in, Mrs. Butler.
1: Thank you.
0: May I... May I sit here?
6: Please do. Mrs. Butler, when I spoke to you on the telephone, you told me your husband had been threatened by a mysterious Professor Powell. Mm. Mrs. Butler, was your husband very wealthy?
1: Yes, I, I suppose you would say he was wealthy.
6: And you inherit most of his money.
1: Yes. You're not trying to... I'm
6: not trying to do anything except establish a clear picture of this case. You also told me of a threat made by a Dr. Stanley James to whom your husband refused to lend money.
1: Yes. He hated my husband. And my husband expected trouble, Mr. Vance. Before he left home this morning, he put a loaded revolver in his pocket.
6: Yes, I know. We've withheld that fact from the newspapers, but we found the gun. Now all that remains to be done is to find your husband's murderer. <laughs>
5: Is District Attorney Markham. The Butler murder case opened with the death of Dr. Michael Butler. Philo Vance reasoned that he was killed by an injection of poison into his body, and later investigation proved this correct. Vance's suspects include Professor Powell, an extortionist, Dr. Butler's widow, and another dentist, Stanley James. My secretary has told me that Vance is on the way into my office, and I have been waiting for him.
6: He should be stepping any- Markham, my friend, how are you?
5: Fine, Vance, fine. I imagine you have news for me.
6: No, not yet. I took a cab here to see your notes on the routine questioning of suspects. I have an idea they're going to be very important. May I?
5: Well, they're Sergeant Heath's notes, but certainly, Vance, they're right here.
6: Here you are. Thank you. Hmm. Dr. Stanley James. Admits he left his house early on morning of murder. Claims he went to library. No corroboration. Let's see now. Mrs. Butler asleep when husband left house. Collapsed when asked to identify body and on recovery asked that she not be made to look at it. Permission granted. Complete check of her background and associates reveals no hint of trouble between her and doctor. Hmm. Well, Markham, as usual, our friend Heath is quite thorough.
5: Yes, he is. Oh, excuse me, Lance. Hello, Markham speaking.
2: Mr. Markham. This is Dr. Milstead, room 420, Johnson Building. Yes, Doctor. Mr. Markham, a man who calls himself Professor Powell just telephoned me to be in my office at 8 o'clock tonight and not to notify the police or or what happened to Dr. Butler would happen to me too. You, you've got to protect me.
5: We will, Dr. Milstead. Standing next to me right now is Philo Vance. When the professor calls upon you, Mr. Vance will be there too.
2: It's just 8 o'clock, Mr. Vance, and and to be honest about it, I'm a little nervous. No
6: need to be, Dr. Milstead. I'm quite sure I can handle our friend, Professor Powell, when he arrives.
2: I'm sure you can, and thank you, Vance, for coming here.
6: No trouble at all. I've been wanting to meet the professor for some time.
2: Oh, uh, that must be he now.
4: Professor Powell?
6: It is I, doctor.
2: Will you come in here,
4: please? Oh, thank you, doctor. Thank you.
6: I thought you had another patient in here with you, and I didn't want to interrupt. I think you might prefer talking to me, Professor. My name is Vance, Philo Vance. Philo Vance. Well, I have an odd compliment for you,
4: Mr. Vance. You, the mere fact that you were in this city, postponed my coming here for several years. Well, thank you. Of course, I realize it is no
6: coincidence that finds you here in this office, Vance. Dr. Milstead. Would you leave Professor Powell and myself alone for a bit?
2: Oh, of course, Mr. Vance. I'll I'll wait out in the reception office.
6: Thank you, Doctor. Not
2: at all.
4: Well, Vance, this is indeed a compliment to my intelligence. Apparently, you wanted to meet
6: me, eh? Definitely. I'm rather glad about it, by the way. You see, I think you're a killer. And I'm going to prove it. Mm. You mean Dr.
4: Butler, of course. Well, it's quite possible that I didn't kill him, you know. He must have found out by now
6: about his wife and that other dentist who hated him. As a matter of fact, I have. My compliments on providing suspects along with your murders, Professor Powell, very considerate of you. By the way, what are your intentions in regard to Dr. Millstead? <laughs> there are so many other doctors, Vance, and after all, Dr. Millstead did bring us together. He's perfectly safe, believe me. I'm sure he will be, now. Well, Professor Powell, I'm certain that this is au revoir. But we'll meet again. Believe me, we will, Vance. But the next circumstance may not be
4: so pleasant for you. Frankie, my boy, we must think of something completely different, completely (laughs) wonderful for our Mr. Philo Vance. You do the thinking, Professor. That's your department. Uh, Thank you, Frankie. Now, let me see. There must be something that Vance can't possibly suspect. Something that is completely foolproof. Ah, he's a clever man, Frankie. A very clever man. If he's that clever, let's leave him alone. No, no, no. He's so clever I can't afford to. Hmm. It can't be anything ordinary. Nothing obvious. No. Must be something I work out in careful detail. Something I... Mm. Frankie, I have it. Hold on to it, boss. I never forget anything, Frankie. Listen. Yeah? This is perfect. I'm convinced Vance is a menace, a definite menace to my future plans. I must do away with him. Oh, sounds like you're in my department now, Pratt. Hardly, hardly. Although you'll be called on to help. Sure. Frankie, Vance drives a 1944 Stanton convertible, dark green. Well, a lot of people drive green Stantons. That's right. Therefore, it shouldn't be hard for you to get me a car like that. uh? What do I do? Heist it or buy it. It doesn't really matter as long as you get it. I'll consider it gotten. What happens then? Then I'm going to take a photograph of the inside of Vance's car. Yeah. If there's a worn spot on the flooring, I'm going to duplicate it on the car, you get me? Uh-huh. I'm going to check a speedometer and fix our car the same way. I'm going to duplicate everything in Vance's car. You uh you mean there'll be
3: no way of knowing it ain't his own car when Vance climbs in? That's huh? exactly what I mean.
4: Uh-huh. And then Frankie? Yeah. After I make our car an exact duplicate of Vance's, I'm going to fasten an explosive device to the starter and switch our car with his. How about keys, boss? He's going to know it ain't his car from the keys. I think not. Vance has his car delivered from the garage. The keys are left in it. It would be a simple matter to put his key ring in our car. Hey, Professor, all I got to do is get a car like Vance's and this thing can't miss, huh? That's right. You know, Frankie... I'm not sure as to whether fa- uh, Vance subscribes to my theory about the fallacy of prolonging life, but it would be a very good thing for him at the moment if he were reconciled to it.
3: Ah, gee, Professor, I sure did a good job of getting a car. that was just like Vance's and affixing the inside, just like his, didn't I? Huh? Yeah, take a look at that bus in front of his door there. and The one we're in, and you couldn't tell him apart.
4: I even put his own radio back in our car. You did an admirable job, Frankie. Thanks. Now, all that remains is to wait here until Vance leaves the building. Uh, Tell me once more what you did so I know there's no slipper. Yeah, okay.
3: After I drove the car to Vance's place and fixed the gimmick to the starter, like you showed me, Mm -hmm. I drove Vance's own car up the block and called you. You hopped the cab and came down.
4: Here we are in Vance's own car. Good, good, very good, Frankie. Uh, Here comes Vance and his friend, the district attorney out of their building now. Yeah, boss, and they're heading for the car we gimmicked up. I don't think it would be wise for us to be in this vicinity after the explosion, Frankie. Perhaps it would be better if we left right now. Okay, boss, if you say so. Well, here goes. On with the ignition. Better hurry, Frankie. Yeah. Vance and Malcolm are getting into this car. On with the starter now.
3: Here we...
6: Markham, I think Powell is still breathing. He is. Powell. Professor Powell.
5: The doctor said Professor Powell would probably regain
6: consciousness before he died, Vance. Looks as if he was right. Yes, it does. He shows signs of coming out of the results of that explosion. I'm going to talk to him. Powell. Professor Powell. (sighs) Hello, Vance. How did this happen to me? It was simple, Powell. I didn't fall for your trick of switching cars. So when your man here went to telephone you, I switched the cars back to their original status, pushing the rigged car and not using the starter. You you saw what Frankie had done with the cars, Vance? I didn't actually witness it, but I did look in what was supposed to be my car a little while ago. It seems your man forgot one detail. I didn't think you'd trust the actual work to an underling. No. No, I guess
4: that was a mistake. But I do have the satisfaction of having committed a murder and not being caught. That is something, Vance. You killed Dr. Butler? Of course. I killed him, and you never knew it was I. You never would have been able to prove it.
6: You weren't really so brilliant, were you, Vance?
5: (sighs) He's gone, Vance.
6: Yes, I know.
5: Well, his death did us a lot of good. He got rid of him and cleared up the Dr. Butler murder case. We know now that it was Powell who killed Butler.
6: Do we, Markham? I think not. I think you'd be very wise if you arrested the real murderer, Mrs. Grace Butler. Let's start with the motive, Markham was money. Dr. Butler was very rich, but Mrs. Butler was continually being embarrassed by lack of cash. When she heard about Professor Powell's threat to her husband, she decided to make sure the doctor died knowing Powell would be blamed.
5: That's reasonable enough.
6: Of course. So she stole out of the house as he was dressing on the morning of the murder, came to his office, and waited for him with the hypodermic in her hand.
5: She hid the hypo in her hand, put her arms around her husband as if to embrace him, and shoved the needle into him death was practically instantaneous.
6: Yes. Then she went through the routine of putting the hypodermic into the sterilizer, trying to eliminate all traces of the poison.
5: Well, that's all very well, of course, Vance, but why did Professor Powell insist he killed Dr. Butler?
6: The colossal conceit of the man was responsible, Markham. He wanted us to think that he had committed a murder which couldn't be pinned on him. If he left that thought with us, well, he was content to die. Yes.
5: Knowing his philosophy, that isn't hard to understand. Now, one more thing, Vance. What made you suspect Mrs. Butler?
6: Something very definite, Markham. She told us she was asleep when Butler left the house the morning of his death. She never looked at the body, yet she knew her husband had put a loaded revolver in his coat pocket. She couldn't have known it unless she did see him that morning. When she denied seeing him, it could only be for the purpose of covering up the fact that she killed him.
5: Uh, Tell me one more thing, Vance. How did you know that your car had been switched... So that you, in turn, could switch it back. The cars were exact duplicates.
6: Yes, they were, Markham. All except for one little detail. The gas gauge in my car wasn't working. It didn't register at all. When I got into the car in front of my door, turned on the ignition, and saw the register indicate it was half full of gasoline. I knew it wasn't my car. Oh, I see. Then I looked down the street, and there was my Stanton. So you figured out the professor's plan. Lucky for both of us, I did, don't you think? <laughs> Luck
5: had nothing to do with advance. Remind me never to commit a murder when you're around.
6: You're reminded, my friend. And incidentally, while we're on the subject, you're also reminded that this is the end of the Butler murder case. <laughs>